Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Sarah Pisano. Dr. Pisano is the program director of the National Charitable Initiative called Target Zero. She is a 1994 graduate of the Cornell University College of Veterinary Medicine and has experience as a nonprofit shelter veterinarian and public shelter director. Dr. Pisano joins us today to tell us about the community cat diversion programs that Target Zero helps implement in communities around the country. Dr. Pisano, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So I was wondering if you could share with us, how did you get started in animal welfare and your interest in community cats? Yes. Well, it all started when I was three and this won't be a lengthy story, (laughs) but I decided when I was three years old that I was going to be a veterinarian. And then fast forward to 1994, I graduated from Cornell and I wasn't sure if I was going to specialize or be in shelter medicine. And I sort of fell into shelter medicine and realized that's why I wanted to be a veterinarian. So I've spent my career in shelters. So when you went to veterinary school, were you trained in shelter medicine at that point in time? Did they have a shelter medicine program or is that something that developed later? Yeah, back then we did not have a shelter medicine program like there are so many amazing programs today, but our surgery rotation was to sterilize shelter pets. So that was our exposure, but no, we did not learn about sheltering at that time in vet school. And how did you get involved with Community Cats? Was it through Target Zero or was it before that time? You know, back then, Stacy, we really didn't have the data and the studies that we know today. So my philosophies have evolved, and much like many of your listeners, I'm sure. So it was such an amazing opportunity for me to become program director at Target Zero. And if I might just say a few words about what we do, that kind of leads me into why we are so focused on community cats. So Target Zero is a nonprofit charitable initiative that looks for open admission shelters who are struggling with both dogs and cats, and we help them pro bono, productively decrease intake, and get to that 90% or better live outcome sustainably. So what we find is in every shelter that is struggling, the cats have it much worse than dogs, that housing is often inhumane and well below the standards set by the Association of Shelter Veterinarians. And so even though we are equal opportunity dogs and cats, we know that cats need the most help. So we have data now that proves that in studies, Dr. Lord and Owen, there are so many studies now that show that cats are seven to 10 times more likely to find their way home from the street or find another home from the street than a shelter, and that the return to owner rates are negligible. So the shelters we visit are typically, you know, 2% or less of the cats are being returned to their owners. They're found outside and brought to the shelter because we've trained the public. Like, oh, this cat must be lost. 
But then we also know that half of the cat owners in the United States lets their cats go in and out. So that these cats, friendly or feral, coming to the shelter, these are what we as Target Zero and many organizations refer to as community cats. So we say, look at the data, look at what's happening. We need to sterilize ear tip and rabies vaccinate and put these cats back home. They have a home and most of them are going to different places for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Again, they could be friendly or feral, but Stacy, when we do this in shelters, their live outcomes go from minimal to in the 90s. And it's been an amazing transformation for these shelters. And by the way, we're doing the right thing. We're putting cats home. We know now that their owners aren't coming to shelters to get them. So this program makes sense for everybody and it saves their lives. So I'm going to play the devil's advocate here a little bit with regards to looking at the data. I know that with data, because there's so many different parties around the country, you can twist data to make it say what you want in certain directions. And I know that there's data out there about the sterilization rates of owned cats being significantly high in certain parts of the country. I mean, we're talking high 80s, low 90 percent of owned cats being already spayed or neutered. But yet you're talking about owned cats that aren't spayed or neutered, that are out on the streets, in the community, getting pregnant, having kittens. So how did the two sets of data, the data you referenced versus the data that I'm referencing, how are they able to be understood? Because we're feeling like everybody who's got an owned cat these days is getting them spayed or neutered. But yet now you're saying that potentially they're not getting spayed or neutered. I think we're talking about two mutually exclusive or fairly mutually exclusive populations of cats. So typically, and I'm not sure if the 80% was inside owned cats, but we know how prolific cats are at reproducing. And so the cats that are outside are just exponentially reproducing. Peter Marsh did the research linking our shelter intake is predominantly from fixed income pet owners or fixed income homes, if you will. And so those animals, dogs and cats are typically not sterilized. So I think though the 80%, we're talking about two different populations is my suspicion. And remember like the population of outside cats is infinitely larger than the population that actually ends up in the shelter. And so as target zero, we're looking at who's entering the shelter and how can we stop unnecessary euthanasia. So we acknowledge this is a small slice of all the outside cats, you know, or inside outside cats in the community. So if we sterilize them, we are going to stop the reproduction and future increases in community cats. So I think, and I don't know what studies you're referencing with the 80%, but I suspect those might be indoor cats. Yeah, it's the pets and overpopulation study that comes out every few years. But yeah, I've known Peter for many, many years. And I know he has said, you know, 80% of the number of cats that come into shelters come from the lowest 20% income bracket. And one other thing that he's always said is, as your income level goes down, the number of cats you have go up. And that relationship is inverse. As your income level goes up, the number of dogs you have go up. And so I kind of summarize that by saying cats can easily be claimed to be pets of the poor. 
And the most significant thing Peter has contributed is that link. And so that we, one of the major programs that we get communities to do is subsidize fixed income pet owners because of the link to shelter intake. And when we do that, we see drastic decreases in intake. You know, we didn't know this 20 years ago. You know, when I started out, we were just spinning our wheels. So it's so amazing now to have this data and be like, okay, wait, we can target this and we can actually make an impact and actually change what's happening. And if you go on our website, target-zero.org, you'll see the amazing graphs with cats and the drop in intake is staggering. And the way that these communities are getting to 90% or plus, guess what? It's not by having amazing adoption programs because their live outcome is staying about the same. It's because you're decreasing intake because guess what? You're sterilizing those cats when, you know, it could be the owners like, oh my gosh, they just keep having litters and we just can't afford to get them sterilized. Therefore, I'm going to bring them to the shelter. They don't have any more litters. So your intake goes down and it becomes the culture in your community. So people know with those cats to go to spay neuter instead of the shelter. I know for me in my 25 plus year career, this is the most exciting time in animal welfare because we now know the formula. We know how to fix it. Yeah, I think we're definitely at a tipping point with regards to community cats and the realization of the impacts of spay and neuter before adoption or rescue, the importance of having as wide-ranging spay and neuter programs as possible within a community to serve all the cats and dogs in need in that community so that then you aren't faced with an overpopulation issue. So it's that population control tool that spay and neuter provides in the community. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Ready to make a big difference for cats in your community? We've got an exciting opportunity that can jumpstart your efforts. The Community Cats Podcast has launched Community Cats Grants. When you qualify for this innovative program, you'll gain valuable knowledge about how to raise funds for your spay-neuter efforts. Plus, we'll match the funds you raise up to $1,000, doubling your ability to make a difference for cats. Fundraising doesn't have to be scary. We'll be with you every step of the way. Check it out. You can find all of the details on the Community Cats podcast website under our education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. Can we touch upon a bit in greater detail about the Community Cat Diversion Program that you have? Sure. So the essence of the program is... First of all, we're trying to do surrender prevention. So can you sterilize this cat and keep it? Can you be a foster parent? We're trying to do surrender prevention at intake, which is part of the puzzle of sheltering. And so we're trying to keep as many animals out as possible in homes or help people place their cats. If they're indoor only and there's no other alternative, those are the cats that are going into your shelter adoption program. And the typical split is 20% owner surrenders, 80% outside cats. So we're talking about those 80% outside cats instead of bringing them into our shelter system, or as you know, many open emission shelters still today, euthanize ferals on intake. Instead, let's take those outside cats, sterilize them ear tip them, rabies vaccinate them, and put them back to their outside home. And I'm glad you asked, Stacey, because, you know, community cat or diversion means different things to different people. We 
differentiate that from an active TNR program. We love active TNR, but unfortunately, we work with shelters. They're saving 9% of the shelter cats. So we are looking at a crisis emergency situation at the point of intake. So when we say community cat diversion, that's what we're referring to. Now, I'll tell you a major part of our job and what we spend a lot of time doing is changing ordinances because, you know, these municipalities will say, oh, you know, we have a leash law for cats. Cats can't be free roaming. Well, good luck with that. You know, like, go ahead and try to stop that. So we spend a lot of time in front of elected officials, county administrators, In our last community, I did presentations for two cities and a county in one community, and all three are embracing this and we're helping them change the codes. So we work with Alley Cat Allies, with Rebecca DeHaven, we work with Best Friends, we work with all the attorneys all over the place to bless these code changes and say, here's best practice today. Again, you know, a five-day stray hold, seven-day stray hold for cats and dogs, that was done with the best of intentions, but we know differently now. So a lot of our time is spent changing the codes and therefore we're turning off the faucet, Stacy. We're turning off this a massive influx of outside cats that should not be coming into the shelter to begin with. All they're doing wrong, well, it's not wrong, it's natural, they're reproducing. That's the only thing they're doing we don't like. And we need to get them rabies vaccinated. Therefore, we've increased community immunity drastically and beyond what's happening now. So when the health department says, oh my gosh, you know, they have to be boosted every year. Well, let's talk about what you're doing now, which is nothing. So we're talking about increasing community immunity against rabies and less cats. There's less wildlife at risk. So this is a win-win for everyone. This just makes sense. And we really do find, especially with the Million Cat Challenge and Best Friends funding so many of these programs, we see this catching on and we're very excited about it. Mind you, it's a lot of work and we still have a lot of work to do. Oh my goodness. But really exciting that it makes sense. You know, people say, oh, our elected officials would never go for this. Well, guess what? We sit down with the elected officials and we have a rational conversation with them and we give them the facts and the data and they're like, oh, that makes sense. We've passed, I think, seven ordinances around the country, Louisiana, We're working on two in Kentucky, several in Florida, Indianapolis. We're seven for seven, 100% of the time. When we educate our elected officials, they pass the ordinance changes. And I still think that even when we're talking about a return to field or feral freedom program, we're still dealing with a reactive response to our community cats and trying to dive even deeper and getting into that source of potential abandonment. Some of these cats are potentially abandoned. And how do they become community cats and really trying to get into that source and I always talk about Adam and Eve, and I want to make sure Adam and Eve are spayed and neutered before they get abandoned and ideally provide other options to people, alternatives for abandonment. So I think that there's still these reactive layers in certain communities, the communities you say that have, you know, only a 9% live release rate, you're going to be very reactive and really get that spay neuter bang going in there. But then, you know, in New England, you know, we don't have that kind of scenario happening. And so now we're having a lot of conversations about how to determine, you know, what is an abandoned cat versus what isn't. 
I do look at it differently because one, we know that half of cat owners are leaving their cats go in and out. And then we have cats that just don't want to go inside. But the cats we're talking about that are coming to the shelter are of good body weight. They have at least one food source. And we also know that many of those cats, even the inside outside cats, They go someplace for breakfast, someplace for dinner, someplace for lunch. So we actually don't think they're lost or abandoned based on their visual body weight. You know, we have the most data from Jacksonville. And out of the 25,000 cats that my teammate Cameron Moore took through the program in Jacksonville, 25,000 cats she took through this program, less than 1% were too sick, ill, or injured to put back out. So they are being cared for. And then in the studies by Dr. Lord, she shows that cats are more likely to find their way to their original home or find another home from the street. We think that we are, in fact, returning them to their outside home. But having said that, the TNR and massive TNR efforts combined with community cat diversion absolutely is the answer. We were much more intense about managed TNR in the area that I worked in, in the Newburyport, Mass area. And I think that that ultimately, especially if you're working in a hot zone and we're in an area where there's a huge birding community, we're very aggressive about acknowledging a new cat to our feeding stations and really working hard to try and identify whether that cat had an owner or had somebody feeding them. Since it's a pretty insulated community and we were a one source intake, it wasn't like that cat was traveling 50 or 60 miles to go to another shelter. You know, our shelter was five miles away. So there was a good chance that the owner was going to find that cat if that cat hadn't been abandoned. But I do think, unfortunately, there are people who do still abandon cats and we just have to be aware of some sort of an option out there for those cats. I agree with body tone, basically letting the cat help tell you whether this cat's in good shape or not. And we certainly don't want them to be unnecessarily euthanized at a shelter. That's certainly not anywhere near an objective. But yet to be involved in the community and have community awareness, you know, neighbors talking with neighbors and understanding the cats in their own backyard. I mean, I fed a cat outside for a year and a half thinking the cat was owned by my next door neighbor and it was not. And the cat went through New England winters for a year and a half without having a home. So there's a lot of deep diving that has to go into it. It's not, I don't think it's necessarily 100% one way or the other way, but I think there's definitely a combination. And the more people that are involved with helping community cats, the better off we're all going to be. Yeah. And I think also people trigger when you say community cats, they think colonies. And just to clarify, with respect to Target Zero and the community cat diversion and what we focus on, that is simply resources. Like we wish we could do massive TNR and community cat diversion, but we're working with shelters who are struggling and who are euthanizing way too many cats that shouldn't even have come into the shelter. So that's the reason why we say we focus at the point of intake. Gosh, if we had money, heck yeah, we'd be doing all of it, you know, all at once. And we love it and we promote it. However, we are talking about colony prevention. That's when cats get themselves into trouble and people, by the way. So, you know, the community cat diversion, this is one cat coming into the shelter at a time. You're never going to have like a colony coming into the shelter. So just with the perspective from target zero, we have a little pot of money. What are we going to do with that money to make the impact? And it's just at the point of intake. So that's simply why our focus is called community cat diversion. I just wanted to clarify that for your listeners. Oh, yeah. And that's really important. 
every shelter has a whole different set of problems based on the data that they're dealing with. And so you have to work with them that way. You mentioned you were very excited about the future for community cats. Can you tell me what you think this world will be like for community cats five or 10 years from now? Yeah, I don't think that outside cats will be admitted to the shelter. Now, remember, there's certain situations and ill or injured. There will be situations where they will be coming into our shelter systems. But for the healthy ones, which are the vast majority, I think that this will become the norm. I really do because it makes sense. It does not make sense to bring cats into our shelter system who already have a home and hold them for strays and not have them return to their owners. So I do think that our shelters in five years will be just for those inside cats that we couldn't find another alternative for, for the most part. Dr. Pisano, if there are people interested in finding out more about Target Zero or reaching out to you, how would they find you? Please go on our website and read about us, support us. We are target-zero.org. And there's an email link on there. It's assist at targetzero.org. And we would love the support. We would love for you to see what we're doing and all these amazing fellows around the country. And we started this program in Greenville and two months the same time frame last year, they brought in 256 cats and this year, 10 cats compared to the same time. So really exciting stuff happening. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Just to be open, you know, what I just talked about on this podcast, Stacy. guess what? I didn't support 10 years ago. I didn't think it was the right thing to do. But now we have all this data. And so, you know, this is a controversial topic when we start talking about it to different people and communities and stakeholders. So just be open to listening to the facts. And we all evolve. And I know I did. So I just ask people to be open about it as well. That sounds great. And I agree with you 100%. We should all be open. We should all continue to learn, listen to others, and just be open-minded about everybody's thoughts and ideas. Dr. Pisano, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope you're willing to come on again in the future, maybe to share some of the case studies that you have. Oh, that would be very exciting. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone.